Hey everybody, welcome to the Down the Rabbit Hole podcast. It's your boy Rob the MC, and I have a very, very special guest today. Um, The reason why I think she's very special is because when I initially met her, she gave me the instant Instagram follow, so I knew she was a real one as soon as she did that. So everybody, welcome in our girl, Christy Gainel. Is that how you say it correctly? Gay now. That was close enough. All right, I'm going to put some Atlanta on it. Gay now. (laughs) So everybody, um, so this is her. So tell everybody about kind of your your comedy story, uh, who you are, what you do, and so we get a little bit of an understanding of uh, Christy. Okay, my name is Christy Gay now. I am an author and a comedian. I wrote a book called Condoms Are Cheaper Than Child Support. Um, everybody always laughs at the title, but they're like, oh, I already know that. I know about condoms. And I'm like, yeah, well, if you knew the content of my book, you would understand that the concept is more about common sense than condoms. Because uh, it's obvious truth, but it's something that some mistake people make all the time. So that's kind of like where my book is geared. Obvious truth. They're getting people's brain. And they're like, oh, I want to, you know, realize the secret, create my reality, whatever. Um, and then um, I've been doing comedy 12 years now. I started in 2008. I can't believe it's been that long. Um, and it was kind of a fluke. I was at a comedy show at Phillips Arena. And Monique was performing and she's just like, Monique, you know, Monique, she goes in and she's loud and she's like full of energy. And what I realized, I think watching her is that comedy is not just like, jokes that you make up like she's telling her story you know but she's delivering it in such a way that it's just this cathartic um release but not just for her but for the audience like you could just hear the the release of energy into the air through the laughter and i i just sitting there absorbing it kind of and thinking i want to do that i want to do that for people and um that was on a friday my first time trying stand-up was the following monday Really? I've been doing it ever since, yeah. Oh, wow. So two things. First thing is uh, Monique is a Baltimorean. I'm a proud one myself. Um, I'm from the West Side, so all my viewers know that. I've said it literally in every episode, so that's my favorite thing to bring up. And also, to to be that inspired to go literally the next week, how was your first (laughs) stand-up experience? (laughs) It was nerve-wracking. I've never felt so nervous. Um, in my entire life, I felt like a cartoon character, you know, <laughs> okay. like the ones where their legs are like jiggling because they're like nervous and they're like have the like the squiggly lines for legs because they're they're shaking so bad. Mm-hmm. I was like that for like three hours after I finished. Really? <laughs> I was like I was that. Yes, I was that. Um, but there was also like this adrenaline that kind of filled my body before I went into it and. Um, I got a couple of laughs. It was it was a really kind of crazy experience because I feel like if I had not gotten a chance to do it that night, I don't know if I would have went back. And I almost didn't get to perform that night because the first place I went, they, the list was full. And the second place I went, the promoter, I found out later, that was their first night doing comedy at that location. And the promoter didn't want me to perform because I'd never done it before. So he's trying to, like, prove himself, you know. He's like, I can bring quality people. You know, he's like, this is a showcase room. I'm showcasing, like, talent from around Atlanta. And I show up never having done it, asking for stage time. And he's like, no. Wow. (laughs) And so. uh, Wow. 
yeah. And so what he did introduce me to all the comedians, and then he introduced me to the guy that was hosting, who happened to be Carlos Miller, who's like amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, he's on Wild and Out now. Mm-hmm. But Carlos looked at me, he was like, so you're a comic? And I was like, uh, no, I don't know, kind of. I'm like, I've never done it, you know? And he goes, you want to do it? And I was like, yeah. So he's like, all right, I'm going to put you up. And the poet is like, no, 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 you can't put her up. She's never done it. It's not that kind of room. This isn't an open mic. And he was just like, whatever. She's got to start somewhere. She's going up tonight. So he put me up. And um, I didn't get booed. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> so always I good. Like, that counts for something. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't mom. Mm-hmm. Um, I got like a couple laughs or whatever. But beyond that, um, I got a lot of support. Like, uh, I feel like Atlanta comedy scene has changed, but at that time, um, the comedians that I met, that I was introduced to that night, they were really supportive, very encouraging. And Atlanta, you know, when people come here, we're very open. So we, we just kind of take people under our wing and like, oh, you're a comedian? There's like 50,000 rooms you can go to and perform every night of the week. So... It was kind of, you know, they took me to the different places or let me know who had a room somewhere and where I could get more stage time. And they kind of just, you know, took me under their wing and helped me fly. Um, I'm so grateful for the community that I came into doing comedy. Interesting. Okay. So that's a little encouraging being outside of myself. So are you from Atlanta? Not originally. I had been living in Atlanta for some time by then, but I'm originally from California. Oh, you're a Cali lady. Oh, yeah. okay. What part of California? Can't tell by the accent. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I'm totally from the valley. <laughs> you from the valley for real? I, um, I'm from San Gabriel Valley. So I grew up in Diamond Bar, California, which is in L.A. County, but it's like in the outskirts. Oh, wow. Interesting. I always yeah. heard that California is like a totally different world from the East Coast. It is. It is oh, completely different. I mean, everything from the land to the people to just even the weather. But that was the thing I think for me when I moved to Atlanta that was the most shocking was the difference in the weather. Mm-hmm. Because in Cali, if you look outside, you can see what it feels like. Like if it's sunny. <laughs> then it's going to be warm. Mm -hmm. And if it's cloudy or rainy, then it's probably going to be cold, you know? So you just dress according to what it looks like outside. So I moved here, you know, and it's like winter, and I look outside, and it's so bright and sunny. And I was like, ooh, sunny day, yes. I put on a sundress. I walked outside. It was 32 degrees. Okay. Okay. It's cold. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely different. I mean, as a Marylander, you know, from where I'm from, the the weather is so crazy. It can go, it can, like, for instance, this summer is going to be in the hundreds and with humidity. And then in the wintertime, we get we could get four foot of snow. We've had snowmageddon. We've had three and four and five, six foot of snow. And we've been, you know, so we get everything up, up, up in Baltimore, Maryland. So it's never the same. So down here, to me personally, it's, uh, I would say, the one of the mildest winters I've ever had. And I can only understand, I can only empathize with you coming from Cali. But what I'm really interested interested in is your book tell me the whole process about writing a book i respect anybody 
that takes the time to really put their thoughts together and really go do it. It's hard to do that. Tell me about that book and what really made you want to do a book. And, and the title by itself is very provocative. So I'm so curious about that. It is challenging to do a book. I mean, I've, I've actually been working on another one, and it's, it's so challenging to kind of, you know, sit down and, and do the actual work. Um, and I, I don't know. I always knew I'd be a writer. Like, I've been writing since I was 12, maybe before that. I've, I guess writing is, like, my second nature. I've, I write all kinds of poetry, like essays, letters, descriptions of people, profiles, songs. Like, I've just always written. And I think, you know, comedy kind of was an extension of that. Like, I never thought I'd be a comedian. I was in my 30s, actually, when I started doing stand-up. But I always felt like I was going to be a writer. Ironically, the writing came after the stand-up. I I had been doing stand-up for years before I finished the course. Mm-hmm. wrote the book mm-hmm. um but in the title kind of cheaper than or is like it's an obvious truth so my book is has obvious truth and create their reality so i wrote it around the time um you conceptualized it around the time she came and people were like trying to manifest, you know, and they're like, yeah, I'm doing the secret, you know? And then some people were like, I don't know why it's not working. Okay. So, um, so that's where the title came from. Condoms are cheaper than child support. But the actual book is divided into four sections. It's um, a section on parenting, a section on relationships, on work life and personal life, just like personal growth. Like there's a chapter on just happiness and how it's a, a choice <laughs> that you have to make if you want to be happy. Um, and then the steps that you can take at the end of every chapter there's like an action plan of things you can do to achieve you know whatever the chapter is talking about there's a chapter on healing your personal healing on um how to improve your relationships and um your life like living your story like so a lot of people i've i've experienced complain about their job, you know, or their life not being what they want. Oh, I hate my job. And I'm like, there, there's the solution. <laughs> you can quit. You know what I mean? Like, there's tons of jobs out there, careers, opportunities. You just have to make a different choice. And um, so one of the things that I encourage people to do is think of your life from the end, right? Imagine yourself as, like, an 80-year-old, 70, 80-year-old, and you're talking to your grandkids or your great-grandkids about what your life was like. Mm-hmm. What is that story? Yeah. What did you tell them that you accomplished? What did you do during your life that you're now telling your great-grandkids about, right? And then think about what you want that story to be and then start living it, mm-hmm. you know? 
if your story is, oh, I was married to the same person for 50 years, you know, and we grew old together, then you got to find that person and get married and stick through it for the next 50 years. If, you know, you want your story to be that you were a revolutionary and you made change and you created new laws or whatever, whatever that is, you're not going to accomplish it by sitting around working in a dead-end job and hoping and wishing. Like, you have to live your story. Yeah, so so why do you think a lot of people uh, get locked into that they're too afraid? Why do you think a lot of people let fear um, overcome happiness? Because I find, and, and for me, I had a quarter-life crisis. That's why I moved down to Atlanta to, to just try and see what could happen. You never know how life works. And, and my experience personally is no, if you try and put in the effort and you have the good intention and you actually try, you, usually it works out, and sometimes it's not as easy to first step. It could take a year, two years, three years. It could take several years. But if you have that attitude where you actually put in the effort and actually try, you never know. Most people never even try. They just talk. So wh- why do you think a lot of people are afraid to just try, like literally just to try? <laughs> um, I think a lot of people are afraid of failure. But I think beyond that, a lot of people are afraid of change. So, uh, so, much, so many of us invest so much energy into what we believe other people think about us and what we believe they'll think if we do something different. So we get caught up in, in this idea that other people are watching us and judging us and, you know, you don't want to give them something to talk about. So that the fear of failure is actually a fear that people are going to speak negatively about you if you don't accomplish what you said you were going to accomplish. Um, one of the ways I think around that is don't tell people, <laughs> like don't tell them what you're doing, just do it, you know, because mm-hmm. then you keep the energy in it and you don't have to risk worrying about people talking about you. Yeah. Um, the other thing is to fear change. Um, a lot of people are afraid they're afraid of, you know, you just afraid. some people don't know how to change, you know. Um, they're afraid of loss. I've experienced a great deal of loss, and I feel like in order to really achieve wisdom, you kind of have to lose everything. And I feel also like until you lose everything, you, you are going to live with that fear. But once you lose everything, that's where it goes away because now you know that, you know, you can live through losing everything, you know, and you see how much more the world has to offer beyond the material thing. You see that exactly. people are primarily good hearted and that when you feel yourself in the depths of despair with the greatest need in front of you, um, somebody shows up with the means to meet that need. It, I don't know where it comes from. I mean, you can believe if you believe in God, God might've sent that person. If you believe in the universe, the universe finds a way, like whatever your beliefs are, however you, um, express that, that belief or that idea, it, it, it happens that way. I mean, I've been pretty much down to like my last dollars and ran out of gas in the middle of the street, Mm -hmm. you know, with my kids in the car. And this guy gets out and he's like, 
you run out of gas here. Let me go get you. <laughs> Let me go get you some. And he goes and he fills up a gas can and puts gas in my car. Station and in my car. And I was just like, wow, where did you come from? Just happened to be the guy behind me, you know, with his wife in the car. But they were just so loving that that they they felt in their heart to do that. And I find that when you're open to giving and receiving, then there's plenty to receive and you have enough to give. Exactly. So that's that's so interesting. I'm just curious about um, what is your your astrological sign? I'm a cancer. Interesting. I I just had a birthday. Oh, happy birthday to you. You just just have a very rich thought process. And I can definitely, as a person who comes from a certain background as well, I can definitely see that you've done a lot of self-healing. I can see that you've done a lot of self-reflection. And the funny thing is, um, a lot of people don't do self-reflection. And they operate, like you said, out of what other people want them to do. And it's so interesting. I grew up in a very strict religious background. And I left that religion at 24. And I literally had to, I was, you know, raised as Jehovah's Witness. And I literally had to... Yeah, I had to literally rebuild. I was too. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what I was like, oh, that's funny. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. We'll, then yeah. we're going to have some deep conversations off off the air as well. Um, <laughs> and I literally had but to... Yeah, re- leaving that, you have to reshape your whole mind. Oh, yeah. Reshape your entire belief system. Exactly. Um, and you have to approach the world from a different perspective. I think for me, the most challenging is... I think growing up in that kind of background where you're raised to believe that everybody who's not from that means you harm. Mm -hmm. And then to walk into the world and find a way to trust and have faith and believe that that people don't necessarily have negative intentions. Exactly. Exactly. It's a a different um, framework. And I think that in itself is an entire healing process of going from this that particular belief system, you know, to a belief system that is more inclusive of the world, you know. Exactly. It, totally exactly. Like I, I tell people, they're like, man, you're, you always are so looking for the positive and green in life. I was like, yeah, man, because you know what? At the end of the day, we're all trying to make it in this world. We're all trying to figure out what it is. What is our reason for being here? Why are we here? And when you let systems of capitalism, systems of, um, you know, consumerism shape your life. Uh, your happiness, you find emptiness really to me in my personal perspective. And I've only been on the earth 30 years is that, um, true joy and happiness comes from people experiences and really living okay. out your dreams and putting in effort into something projects, things of that nature. It is not from, okay, you got to leave a ton back. Like for me, I buy a lot of people make fun of me. I buy a lot of stuff. Like I buy like a lot of uh, electronics. So I bought a laptop. I've bought like the Nutribullet. I've bought um, all these different, cre- you know, specific things that I may like. I've even bought a uh, at one point, I bought a $2,500 MacBook, but I didn't find happiness in it. What I really found happiness in was 
what it helped me to do or accomplish. So whether that's, for an example, me manifesting this podcast, me talking to you, me connecting to you. And then just from that, now we had a shared background. I had no idea. Two weeks ago, I didn't even know you from a grain of salt, you know, but now we're, I have you on my podcast. Now we're connecting on a deeper level. And so I hope, especially in Atlanta, because Atlanta is a, is a shiny city. Atlanta is a very, can be very materialistic city. It can be, um, to really find your happiness in people and building true and real relationships and truly um, healing yourself and understanding yourself and knowing what makes you truly happy. And a lot, I think a lot of people misdirect their happiness into different things. And that's a huge problem we have as humanity. And a lot of people are depressed, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, and the problem is, is so, so much of it's media driven mm-hmm. and so many of us are media focused. So we have a media mentality where you like most of the information you take in about the world is coming through the television then or you know even the internet now with all of its advertising um and reality you know tv you believe that the world is about accumulation of things you know like oh i need to have the nicest newest car handbag whatever clothing and and like you said you you, you would so many of those things and you're left with this feeling of emptiness there's a void there's this hole this space that's still unsatisfied so you buy more things thinking it's going to fill this void and ironically the more stuff you put into this void the bigger the void gets (laughs) so the feeling of emptiness just continues to grow as you fill it with stuff which seems counterintuitive but like you're saying when you fill it with people when you fill it with experiences when you fill it with producing good work then that feeling of emptiness kind of shrinks you know um i spent a couple of years in florida um and what i realized being there is that it's not it's not the location it's not the place and it's not the stuff it's the people that make life you know that give meaning and joy to life you know because you could be in the most beautiful place Mm-hmm. Right. The the most beautiful place on earth. But if you're there with somebody you don't like or don't want to be there, it can feel like the worst experience. Alternatively, you can be in a horrible place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can be on your way to jail. You know what I mean? But if you're there with like your homie <laughs> that you your ride or die, mm-hmm. like all it is is a great story y'all gonna be able to tell later. He's like, nigga, I can't believe we did this. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's you know, so it's, important. It's, it's, Right, definitely more of the who's and less of the what. Oh yeah, so. I find that hard for me because you know, and being in and in, uh, in literally just starting thirty, uh, you know, I traditionally like to date older women. That's just my thing, you know, personally. And then as I've moved to a new city, trying to get to know people from different backgrounds and stuff, and you find. In my age group, especially, a lot of people are still trying to figure, and even and it could be in any age group, but really in a heavier portion of my age group as well, um, a lot of people kind of just floating around and don't know what they really want, and they may feel that it may be a career, it may be like very, very surface level stuff. And so when you try to, when I try to go out on dates, or just try to get to know people and communicate with people, you find people to be very empty. And for me, you know, if I'm going to have a lifetime partnership, whatever, however that looks, why would I? I mean. You, 
when you have such emptiness and surface level, that's why people get divorced so much because your real foundation mm-hmm. is off a lie. Whether that's, you know, he got a good job or she got a good job or she got a fat ass or he got a big dick, whatever the case may be. And it's just those very surface level things. What about their character? Can you sit up in the morning and talk about something as simple as like squirrels? And like, do you ever wonder what squirrels are doing? Where do they go? What, what is their family dynamic? <laughs> do squirrels mourn over the dead squirrels? Like, what is squir- like are squirrels daredevils? Like, really simple and, you know, funny, trivial communication things but really when you find a partner you need to have that type of connection but I find especially in the generation we have with with everyone can put a filter on their ass or face or whatever it's a lot of surface level stuff and I talk to my boys I'm like bro you, the reason why you, you should get on your nerves is because you you started on the surface level you didn't start from a, a, a depth point of view you know Absolutely. That, that's, that's the realest thing I've ever heard a man say since I've probably been in Atlanta. Cause, and I mean, that's just real. Like, I, I, I um, talk to my siblings a lot because, you know, when you grow up together, you kind of have stuff in common. And I find that I don't have a lot of stuff in common with a lot of people I meet. Um, but I have this one sibling who's psychologically challenged. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a nice way to say he's crazy. Imbalance. Got to balance those tires. <laughs> he tells me the other day. He goes, "Man, I saw this squirrel," and this, he was like, "I was a squirrel. I'm not a squirrel. A lizard." He said it was a lizard. I'm like any lizard he's ever seen before. And then he goes, and then the next day I saw this paper. He goes, "I could have swore I saw this paper that said if you seen this lizard, it's worth a million dollars." And he goes, "But." I had already buried it. And I was just like, well, why didn't you dig it up? <laughs> so it, like, if you saw something that said it's worth a million dollars, it's like, first of all, I don't believe But if you did, hypothetically, see a sign somewhere that says that that particular lizard that you saw is worth a million dollars, why didn't you sell it? He goes, it would be messed up to sell, sell a lizard. That would be wrong. I was like, but it's not wrong to bury it. <laughs> like, it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, so killing it. Okay, but selling it goes against your morals. And he was just like, you think I killed it? He was like, no, I found it in the dirt. I was like, yeah, but it put itself there. Like, you just picked it up out of the hole that it dug and threw dirt on top of it. Like, it's old families probably searching for it right now. And, like, we're just having this random-ass conversation, you know, about a lizard. <laughs> exactly. But we're able to have that conversation. That conversation. And, you know, it, it, go, it, it runs its course just like you're talking about with the squirrels. Like, I mean, I was in Peru one time and I saw monkeys playing in trees the way we see squirrels here. And I'm not used to seeing monkeys. That shit shocked the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. I was like, yo, it's some monkeys playing tag, mm-hmm. like in the trees. But I mean, who can you say that to, you know? <laughs> just <laughs> randomly. Yeah. They'd be like, okay, well, this is... I know. People would just be like, why are you talking to me about monkeys? Like, did you get the latest shoes or what? Those new J's are out. I'm like, what's up with those? I'm like, I'm not spending $200 on the new Jordans when I could save that for a plane trip. To exactly. And, and that's the thing. Like, I tell people, it's like, I was talking to a young woman, and um, she was so stressed out with all the shootings, all the death of black folks. And unfortunately for me personally, I feel like, you know, I'm almost desensitized, which is fucked up, really, you know. But... Um, I was saying to her instead of and she was kind of she kind of had an energy where it's a little negative and I get it we all have to process trauma a certain type of way and things differently and we all process it differently but I said you know what you could do to help yourself with this go outside for about 30 minutes watch the squirrel 
watch the birds. And when you watch the squirrels and you watch the birds and you see how they're living their life and the little things they're doing, you realize that your life and our and as a human being, our situation isn't as more important than what's going on around us. It helps you to see universally or globally that there's other things going on and helps you to appreciate that life is beautiful outside of our little human bubble. And sometimes we have to get out of our little human bubble. You know, and so sometimes when I get stressed out or whatever, I just do a little bird watching and I just think about what the birds are doing, where they're flying to, what have they seen, you know, little things like that. And it helps you to appreciate the the uniqueness and, and the interestingness of life, you know? Absolutely. And ironically, that that um, example or actually a scriptural version of that example is what shaped my entire perspective. Like it changed my entire worldview. It changed the way I live. It's really what led to me having the level of like faith that I that I have, and that was required for me to be who I've become. But it was um, that scripture. Um, people are gonna be like, "You read the Bible?" Uh, yes, I have. <laughs> um, but it was a scripture. Mm-hmm. Throw a little Jesus <laughs> on us. Go ahead. You know what I'm saying? No, it was a scripture where it talks. To, it says, "Look at the lilies in the field and the birds in the sky. Do they?" They don't want or toil. Like, they just live. They just exist. And look at how beautifully they're adorned. All their needs are provided for. And it's like, are you not worth it more than them? So why are you out here worrying, stressing, toiling, killing yourself, basically, when if you just live, the world was created in such a way that it will take care of you. Exactly. It will provide for you. Exactly. So... But exactly. most people don't have the, the faith. And then, and then the, that's the other one, faith of a mustard seed. Like, that is the tiniest amount <laughs> of faith. And most of us just don't have, like, even that much faith that the, that the world can support us. That we've been taught that we have to do everything. We have to be everything in order to be worthy, even of love. Like, something so basic, so simple, and so free. We feel like we have to be something phenomenal in order to even be worthy of love. And I think when that is the foundation of who you see yourself as, it's, it's hard to um, not be fearful, you know? So we really kind of have to shift our entire paradigm from what is love from that basic concept, from that basic structure. Oh, yeah. What is love? Oh yeah, I agree with you. One thing that I love, I love what you. Oh, okay. She hold tight, guys. While we call her back, we gonna get her back in the game. And um, hold tight. Hello, you reached the voice. Okay. All right. Well, she'll be back shortly, guys. Hey, what's up? It's all good. It is all good. Um, you back? Hello? Yeah, I'm here. So awesome. You, you were saying what? Exactly. Damn you, T-Mobile and Sprint. Fuck you. It's like, no, I'm just joking. I know. But, um, <laughs> really, really. And guys, just the way I shoot my podcast, I ain't editing shit. Okay? So you just going to deal with the realities of life, motherfucker. Shit. But, um, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I was going to say um, is that, you know what I'm, I'm, I'm really, like, fucking fascinated by and I'm like obsessed with right now is tiny homes I want a container home so fucking bad <laughs> because think about have you have you heard about container homes 
Oh yeah, I see him. There, there. It's amazing what people have been able to accomplish with so little space. That's what I'm saying. I, I want. I'm not gonna go crazy, but I want one that's like maybe 500 to a thousand feet. But you can actually build a container home with all the stuff, the all inter stuff. You can get one for less than a hundred thousand dollars. And so, like a really good one, really build it. And so, for me, what I want to do is get a nice little plot of land in Georgia, not in the country, close enough to city dwelling, you know, not too, not too far from, I want to stay away from Trump country. But what I want to do is build a tiny home and have a nice little studio and have a nice little, you know, just a beautiful home where I can live sustainably and not have to worry about being house poor. Everybody wants to have these three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars houses. You can get a tiny home for less than $100,000. Your mortgage could be less than $1,000. You could have land and be happy and not have to work a job that you hate. My thing is the biggest trap and the biggest lie in America is debt. You have college debt, you have house debt, you have car debt. My thing is why not get a car that you can afford, pay it off, so my, my rule of thumb is get a car that's less than $10,000. You don't you ain't trying to impress nobody. Fuck that shit. Okay. Get a house that's less than $100,000, right? And now you can live and travel as much as you want and you're not linked to debt. Debt is slavery. Debt is literally slavery. So my goal in the next two to three years, or hopefully in the next year or so, is to get me a nice tiny home built where I can live the life that I want. I can travel the way I want to travel. I can do what I want to do. And I'm not, I don't have to whore myself out to the capitalist. Um, I don't have to get double penetrated from capitalism and materialism. <laughs> you well, know? I mean, you're right. That it, that, but the, the thing is, our society is really, really, really designed in such a way that it forces people to continue to owe no matter, you know, how much they pay. So, like, for instance, with your tiny home and your plot of land, even if you pay that off, say you pay it off in five, ten years, you still got to pay property taxes, you mm-hmm. still got to pay, you know, electricity, you still got to pay a well. And, I mean, that's the reality is you shouldn't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, but but they've designed it and we believe in it, so, so we do have to, you know? Exactly. It's like crazy to me because even like with my parents' house, my parents have a well on their property where water literally flows. They have it piped out so that the water flows to the sink, but they will still buy city water. And I was just like, why are you buying city water if you've got a whole well? And they're just like, oh, well, someone told us that the well may not be good for drinking, and I'm like, so you'd rather drink the city water with the chlorine and the lye and the chemicals? Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, you know, the well has to be tested and, you know, stuff could have happened. And I'm like, do you know how wells work? Like, <laughs> like you got a city, city water, right? And mm-hmm. you put it through a Brita filter, which is like two inches of filtration. I'm like, well, water is like... 825 feet of filtration. Mm So (laughs) you're going to tell me by the time the water gets all the way down through that entire filtration process, there's a possibility that it might not be as good for you to drink as the city water that they put the chemicals in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My mom was like, okay, it doesn't make sense when you think about it. (laughs) They're thinking about it. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's what happens, that's how we're socialized. Said. We're socializing to certain things, you know? And so, you know... They said. Oh, yeah. We're socialized. Like, that's why I always tell people, Tyler Perry's story is so dope because this dude literally lived in his car 
we're socialized to think we always got a place to go. We have to go to have to have a place to live, whatever. But he knew deep down inside that his dream was going to happen. He knew he could picture his name on that board. He could picture his stuff being in theaters and plays and look at him now. 300 plus acres of a mm-hmm. former Confederate base. He is one of the greatest American stories living today. And regardless of how he got it, I don't care about the dress. Sure, we can have that conversation about a masculinization of, you know, you know, the demasculization of black men, whatever. But ultimately, the brother put together a industry for himself. He built black, he literally built black Hollywood in the South and he's providing employment to other black creatives and he's doing something that has never been done. He's one of the biggest in the world, movie studios in the world. And all we should do as a black community should be is is applaud him, to encourage him, to support him, irregardless of how we feel about his stories or whatever. He's doing something great. And how about we have, how about we contribute as well and do the best we can to help him put out great material. And um, I'm proud to say I moved here because of that inspiration. He inspired me as well, you know. And so, um, yeah, it's crazy. Good. No, it's crazy, right? His story is incredible. And, and I think one of the most important things to, to look at when you look at his story is he had a dream. Exactly. You know what I mean? He had a belief. He had a vision for what he wanted. And he did the work. So, mm-hmm. and that's kind of like, you know, going back to like the book and stuff, it's like getting out of your own way. Like, yes, he lives in his car. It was a sacrifice he was willing to make, but he also did the work. So he was just like, I'm going to manifest this thing. I have this idea. I have this vision. I have this thing I want to see come true. I know it's possible if I just keep my mind focused on it. But you can't just keep your mind focused on it. You have to actively participate you know do the things that are necessary to build it you know so he was living in his car but he was also writing plays Mm -hmm. you know he was always writing Mm -hmm. and then he was producing the plays and figuring out a way to get them funded and figuring out what theaters would you know allow him to to do the plays and then there's ticket sales like and i feel like so many people like look at like all the stuff that they have to do to make the dream happen. And then they get scared because they're like, Oh, that's too much work. I can't do that by myself. It's going to be too hard. And that's another place where, you know, a little bit of faith in people comes in because you're right. You can't do it by yourself. If that's what you're thinking, you're there. No, nobody can do it by themselves. You're going to need help. Oh yeah. But the, the faith is in, you know, believing that the help is going to come. Asking for help, you know? Oh, yeah. And keep asking until you find somebody who's willing to help you. Um, Don't just get discouraged because a couple people say no or a couple people say, yeah, that can't happen and they don't believe in you. Like, if you see your vision, then you have to just keep knocking down doors, keep knocking on doors until somebody's like, you know what? You've been knocking a long time. Let me, let me give you the address to a door that might open. Exactly. <laughs> and you're like, okay, you know? Oh yeah. And, um, so it's definitely, you. it's not just the belief and the vision. The those are important. That's an important starting point. But mm-hmm. the, the work oh, is yeah. equally important. And the universe blesses effort. The I, I will repeat it again. The right. universe blesses 
effort. So as an example, I'll give you my comedy story. Now, I'm trying to get into comedy. I just moved to Atlanta. I don't know anybody, right? And I reach out to this mm-hmm. young guy on um, Instagram, and he's I saw the Laughing Skull. He's performed. He has some interesting content. I'm not going to put his name out there, but he was a fucking asshole. He literally said to me in the um, DM, I, I said, hey, dude, I'm just trying to connect with people, make friends. I just moved here, whatever. He said, don't take this the wrong way, but you, have, you don't have that many followers. I don't know you from Adam, and... Why would I want to, you know, waste my time with someone who doesn't have that many followers? Okay. The funny thing is, wow. yeah, fucking asshole. And this dude got a thousand followers barely. So, okay. So now he's feeling himself. He got his fucking thousand followers. He thinks he's the shit. Cool. All right. So now let's go to my experience here. Now he didn't realize my dreams. Right. So cool. That's, that's okay. And sometimes you don't take that personal. I did a little bit and that inspired me and fired me up to do my thing. My last couple of guests have gotten has my first guest on my very first guest has 25,000 followers. He only has 1000. Okay. He's well known and respected in his, in his industry. My second follower is on one of the biggest comedy podcasts out period right now, the in Godfrey retrust podcast. He, and he has about by himself, 4,000 comedian. Godfrey's got half a million plus uh, followers. Okay. And he's a well-known, he's done a whole bunch of stuff. He's been on a whole bunch of different things. So just the last couple of folks that I've talked to and talking to you, you've been doing comedy for 10 years plus. So this, minuscule asshole thought he was the shit. Now, now I have my podcast. I got my, the folks that have on and I'm just continuing to create. So sometimes folks, we have to not let other people lack of vision in you make you want to give up. You have to have fucking backbone. Life is about a backbone. Yeah. Yes, it's going to be tough. Yes, it's going to be a struggle. I didn't even know how to fucking um, to, to convert uh, M, convert a wave file to a MP3. Now I know how to do it. I went on Google and YouTube, whatever. I learned how to do it. There's no fucking excuse. I don't like to hear people self-victimize themselves. If you don't know how to do it, get okay. on fucking YouTube, get on Google, and get some fucking, get a backbone and put in the work, and it'll happen. And, and lo and behold, I'm talking to this wonderful comedian who's got three times more experience than I've ever had and me and you are vibing out right now. This is manifestation in person, live and direct. You feel me? <laughs> wow. It's true. And I mean, it's manifestation and when you're saying about like, you know, the, um, the universe blessing effort, that is one of the truest statements ever and that also came to me and changed my life because it took me from a mindset of of people taking advantage of me or worrying about whether or not people were trying to take advantage of me to a mindset where I realized that people can't take advantage of me. And that literally shifted everything for me. So, and that came to me from this um, essay Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote called Compensation. Mm-hmm. And it basically talks about how one of the universal laws is the law of compensation. So it's, it's like if you do the work, you will be compensated, period. Like, it cannot not be done. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, a lot of people get caught up in do unto others, and they're like, oh, I'm not doing that for them because they didn't do this for me. And what they don't understand about these laws is that what comes back to you is not necessarily going to come from who you did something for or who you gave something to. Like, a lot of times you might give something to someone, you might do something for someone, and they will never be repaid by that person. But it will definitely be repaid, period. Oh, yeah. So once you understand that, and once you understand that if you do the work, 
eventually the payment's going to come, then it changes the, the way you work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So as a comedian, a lot of people get into comedy and they might do it for, you know, a couple of years and they don't make any money and they get discouraged and they're like, well, I'm not going to be one of these yeah, starving artists, comedians my whole life, you know, whatever they quit. But when you look at the way comedy works, comedy, the first eight to 10 years, you're probably not going to get paid anything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But when, if you put in the work, you do the work, eventually you get paid. And then when you get paid on the back end, that, the money that comes is like compensates you for all that time. So for the first 10 years, let's say you might make $50 per show, right? Mm-hmm. If that, if that, most of the time you're going to be doing open mic, you're not going to be making anything. Most of the time you're going to be paying money to get to the show in gas or food or drinks or whatever, just to get five minutes on stage time, hopefully, and then, you know, go home empty handed. That's literally what comedy is like most nights of the week. Mm-hmm. But if you do that and the more you do that and the better you it, ultimately you can get to a point where you're making $250,000 per show, mm-hmm. you know? Oh yeah. And like that's, that, that's just coming from, I put in the work and now I'm being compensated and people don't, don't often look at it like that. Like I was talking to a guy tonight and we're sitting outside a cat cafe and I'm out there like, you know, Everybody goes to see, like comedians, we all inter, intermingle and network together. And so a lot of times we'll be at clubs, even if it's just like an open mic, because that's where other comedians are. So that's mm-hmm. where we go to network, you know? Oh, Doctors yeah. hang out in hospitals. Exactly. Comedians hang out at comedy clubs, you know? And this guy's out there, and he was like kind of new. I think he's only been doing it six months. And he goes, Man, if I'm still out here in five years, I'm just going to quit. Like, this is ridiculous. And I was, I was like, you should quit now. And yeah. he was just like, what? Yeah. I was like, if you don't want to be here in five years out here, this isn't the field for you. Because look around you. Like, Rodney Perry's out here right now. You know what I mean? Dexter Tucker, these guys are successful in this field. But this is still where they are mm-hmm. 25 years later hanging out with us because this is what we do. Mm-hmm. So if your mindset is such that you feel like this is beneath you or beneath who you think you're going to be in five years, this isn't, this isn't probably the job for you. Exactly. <laughs> like, I was like, also you got to be careful who you're insulting <laughs> because if people hear you saying that, you know what I mean? Like they're going to feel like, why am I going to help you? Why yeah. would I want to work with exactly. somebody who, who feels like being in this space is beneath them? Exactly. So, like, this is where we all came from. You exactly. Kind of like it's, going back to my roots. Yeah, it's an and apprenticeship. It's almost like, like an apprenticeship. It is. And, like, you know, for, for other professions that make that kind of money, a doctor spent eight years in school plus a four-year residency. That's 12 years they devote to the craft before they ever start making money, right? Oh, yeah. Or they might start making a list in, those, in their residency. But eight years, they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to get that education. And then they get, you know, 50-some thousand or whatever during residency. And then they start making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. For comedy, it's the same way. This this comedy club, these open mics, this is our this is our education. Mm-hmm. This is our in learning the craft. Mm-hmm. And so to think that you don't have to put in that work, that's insane. And 
kind of ludicrous. And a lot of people don't actually feel like they should have to. And you can see it because their careers will take off and then stall because they weren't ready. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you they have didn't to know love- how to really write for real. Oh, yeah. And you have to love the art. This is my thing. At the end of the day, with anything in life, money doesn't make you happy. Happy. As an example, I had a job before I moved down here. I made really good upper middle class money. Pretty good. I could aff- I could actually afford my own house. I could afford, you know, a car, all those different things. I was doing very well for a young dude from the inner city who, who grew up in public housing. Did very- I was doing very well at that point, right? But I was miserable at the job. Absolutely miserable. Not happy at one bit. You know, I got so stressed out. I got goddamn eczema. It was that stressful. Okay, and so now I moved to Atlanta. I took a pay cut, huge pay cut. But now I'm creating a podcast. I'm talking to people. I'm making friends. I'm living my dream and trying something. And I've never felt more refreshed. I've never felt more optimistic about life. And the money will come if it is to come. And however it comes, whatever. But at the end of the day, it's the love of making people feel good. And at the end of the day, that's what comedy is. You're helping other people heal. You have. If you're a comedian, a true comedian, you have a special gift where you can help people um, tune out what they're going through at home, what they're going through in life, and you can help them heal. You have a heal. When you make someone laugh, it is literally a healing power. We are healers and it's a privilege. And this podcast is designed for us healers to come together, to talk about different subjects and to be part of a club. Rob the MC, this is literally, you know how they have motorcycle clubs. This is a comedian motorcycle club from a comedian point of view. And our vehicle is comedy. So I'm hoping to develop a, a brotherhood and sisterhood of comedians where we can come and we can help each other out. We can promote each other. We can look out for each other. And it's literally a club. Hopefully a couple years down the line, we'll all pull up with um, down a rabbit hole shirts on and we'll be like, hey man, we're supporting each other. We, we know that you're doing your first stand up. Let's support each other. It is not about clout chasing. I'm not with people that's trying to clout chase. If you're a true comedian, you want to make people laugh and, and honestly, a laugh is pay enough. And then anything outside of that laugh is, is an added bonus. You feel me? Yeah, definitely. And that's why I was like, I mean, you were on, on my show earlier, but one of the things that was like, as comedians right now, we are essential workers. Like, Period. These are some turbulent times. People are, people are stressed out. People are fearful. People don't know what to believe, what to think, where to look for information. And, you know, the ability to have someone to be able to make people laugh, you know, when they're looking at, you know, cop violence, gun violence, you know, riots, protests, looting, coronavirus, Will um, and Jada. Domestic abuse at home. <laughs> Will mm-hmm. and Jada, like all of it. Like, you know, this is like on-site news 24-7. So, like, we are in an essential reprieve from the things that are going on in, around us in this world. And you know what I mean? Like, we, we kind of are the squirrels in the trees mm-hmm. <laughs> that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. That kind of help take people's focus off and be like, oh, okay. And sometimes, you know, it might even be like, oh, somebody has it worse than me. Or, you know, sometimes it might be just like that person. Thank God for them, you know? Exactly. But definitely, I feel like if you don't have a love for uh, this isn't for you. What it takes to be in this industry, you have to love it. Like, you have to love it. And kind of like you, before I started doing scanning, I was in real estate investing. I was um, in trading. I was a day trader. And um, like six months, within six months of starting stand-up, I lost 
everything, mm-hmm. like everything, all of my property, like wow. everything. Right. Wow. And I, I spent years like just with nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and one day, you know, I kind of like prayed about it and I was like, I don't know what happened because I have lived with so much faith. Like things came very easy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really worried about stuff. And I was like, what, um, how, why, you know, I like look at, looked back and I'm like, how come I lost everything? Like I'm asking, you know, God, universe, like whatever, why did I lose everything? And the answer that came to me was he prayed to be funnier. I was like, ha! Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> comedy comes from a place of pain. Comedy surely comes does. from a place of loss. Comedy, you know what I mean? Like comedy is literally turning the worst experiences that can happen to you um, into something that other people can relate to and kind of, you know, help process their own negative stuff better. And at that time in my life, I had already healed from all the negative stuff that I'd been through. Everything that I was saying wasn't resonating as authentic because I wasn't in that place anymore. And so I had to go through more shit (laughs) in -hmm. order to develop more material so that I could be funnier. And I was like, oh, you got to be careful what you pray for, girl, because I was like, God, you couldn't have thought of a better way to do that. Mm -hmm. Like, there's so many ways, you know. But, I mean, it was was definitely a growth experience. And and also, you know, like like you observed, I have been on a healing journey, several of them, and healing is a very painful experience. But I feel like as a healer, one of the commissions that we've been tasked with is to go inside and look at our lives and evaluate, you know, the kinds of things that we've been through because so many people don't have an opportunity to do that for themselves. And so by us doing it, by us looking in and looking at ourselves and then pointing out these things about ourselves that we've observed, in front of these audiences, it helps them to kind of look at themselves too when they don't have like the time. They might not have the whole day free <laughs> just to sit there and be like, they might be working two or three jobs, but if they get that hour away for comedy, for, you know, to come to a show and they can hear me talk about, you know, how whatever negative thing I went through and then relate to it, like my work becomes their healing as well. Exactly. So, and you and you, you have to take and, and take an ownership of your life. That's that's another thing too. Life doesn't don't let life drive you. You drive life. I was like I said, I had never been more depressed in my life, never been more stressed in my life, never been so uh, uh, lost in my life until I'm. And then I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm moving to Atlanta. And the opportunity came, and I did it. And I've never been more happy, and never been more like I said more just optimistic because and you have to take ownership sometimes you have to make a big move fucking do it you know at the end of the day you might get 70 80 90 years on this earth do you want to spend the rest of it miserable fuck that shit if you want to eat chick-fil-a every day do it if you if you want to eat chicken biscuits eat it you know my thing is you know everything in moderation but live your fucking life don't let life drive you do not let life drive you you know and and we can we have that um we have that ability to do that you know so be the best steward of your life you can so um i think this episode has been very deep very substantive and i'm just thankful to have you on such short notice to do that and i appreciate you as well allowing me on your line so guys we, she's definitely going to be back again we're going to get really deep and funny um this was more of an exploratory uh, communication type thing and getting to know you um as we were on live 
But tell everybody, Christy, where they can find you um, and things of that nature. Well, my name is Christy Gaynell. It's spelled Christ Y G A Y N E L L. That's my name on all of social media: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm never on Twitter, but that's my name on Twitter. It's like YouTube. If you just Google Christy Gaynell, you'll see all my stuff. Um, even the book you can get that on Amazon. Condoms are cheaper than child support. I am at Uptown every Saturday for the late night show. Um, it starts at midnight, so. If you either go on my Facebook, you can get free tickets from Eventbrite, or you can come up there and tell them, hey, I'm here for Christy Gay now. I'll let you in. And um, other than that, I kind of post what I have going on on social media. So if you're looking for me, you can find me there. And I the popular table Monday on Instagram at 12 noon. Okay. Excellent. 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 So again, it was more than a pleasure, guys, to talk with her. I look forward to building this relationship with more comedians. And as we continue down the rabbit hole, guys, season one, it has been going great. And we continue to have wonderful content for you. So guys, peace.